Hello, fellow adventurers. I'm your host, Emily, and you're listening to Boose on the Loose, a podcast about travel and outdoor adventures. For new listeners out there, a quick recap. A boose is a fictional cross between a bear and a moose and is my brave and fearless alter ego. Last week, I recounted the story of my journey to Capurgana, Colombia. In this episode, I'll be telling you what happened once I got there. My part of the story is spooky, but the history of Capurgana is extremely dark, for it is situated in the middle of the most infamous jungle in the world, the Darien. Sit back and enjoy the story of the dark, dark jungle. The Pan American Highway stretches 19,000 miles from Alaska to Argentina, with the sole exception of the Darien Gap. This gap stretches across the Panama-Colombia border, connecting Central America to South America. Here, the jungle is dense, dangerous, and wild. Steep, muddy hills drop off to swampy river valleys. It's home to poisonous dart frogs, black jungle scorpions, and deadly fire ants, devilish fertile ant snakes, sneaky jaguars, wild pigs, and botflies that lay eggs under your skin. Even the palm trees are deadly, sporting long, bacteria-covered spines. This region of Colombia was once inhabited by the Kuna Indians. The name Capurgana translates to Land of Chile in the Kuna language. I'm going to read a quick passage from Outdoor Magazine about the early history of the region. The Gap's legend as a black zone is steeped in bloodshed and tragedy. After Spanish conquistadors discovered the region in 1501, they consolidated the first mainland colony in the Americas by slaughtering tens of thousands of natives, often by turning ravenous dogs loose on villages. The Spanish conquered the Amazon and the Andes, but eventually gave up on taming the Gap, which became a bastion for pirates and runaway slaves. In 1699, more than 2,000 Scottish colonists perished from malaria and starvation, and in 1854, nine explorers died from disease and exposure on a U.S. Navy survey expedition, scuttling plans for a Grand Canal project through the Isthmus. That alone is enough sadness and misery for one place, but more recently, the Darien Gap was central to the war known as the Colombian Conflict. If you don't already know about the Colombian Conflict, uh, then it's definitely something that you should learn about. I didn't learn about this conflict in school, even though it happened during my lifetime. I'm certainly not an expert, nor was I there in person at the time, but I did hear quite a bit about it when I was visiting Colombia. Um, and if you've ever visited the country, you'll know that they've been putting great forth, putting forth great effort to ensure that the story is understood as it really happened and not just in the glamorous light portrayed in certain Hollywood films and shows. So here's a quick summary of the situation as I understand it based on my research. The FARC, an acronym for the Spanish version of the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, was an armed communist group that came about in the 1960s. There had already been communist uprisings throughout the country at that time, but they were subdued by the Colombian army. 
FARC basically wanted to be the armed force that protected all the other communist groups against the government. The FARC rebels hid in the Darien, recognizing its ravines and swampy river valleys as perfect hiding places. Eventually, the FARC gained control and ousted law enforcement from the region. The lack of police attracted other anti-government guerrilla movements as well. The guerrillas funded their lives and their war by trafficking cocaine, extorting businesses, and kidnapping civilians. Their abductees were sometimes chained up in the jungle for years at a time until families forked over large ransom payments. The Darien turned into a violent and chaotic war zone, but it was about to become even worse. In the 1980s, Panama was taken over by the brutal dictator Manuel Noriega. Among other things, Noriega is known for having amassed a personal fortune through drug trafficking operations. The majority of these drugs passed through the S South America through the Darien. The indigenous tribes were especially impacted at this time. Tribal leaders reported that traffickers forced indigenous communities to act as drug mules. Threatened by violence, they were made to haul packs of cocaine through the Darien's rivers and hike the swampy mountainous rainforest, often at gunpoint, as if they hadn't already been through enough. After Noriega was ousted in 1989, Panamanian officials tried to regain control of the region. They clamped down on travel, shut down trade, and choked out FARC supply lines by limiting food shipments into the area. In a 2010 Reuters interview, residents of the Darien complained that the government would not allow them to leave the jungle, even for food or medicine. Remember that not all of these people are part of the drug trade, and they're just regular people trying to live a good life. And I know that the Panama government was probably trying to do the best thing, but it was definitely having an unfortunate impact on the residents. Besides limiting food shipments, police restricted travel, taking over river towns and forcing locals to stay in their villages during spates of violence. Police provided food rations did not make up for a clampdown on free movement and river trade, especially because the supplies are frequently raided by gunmen entering from the forest. The Darien turned into a black hole. What went in never came out. Since 1985, an estimated 8,000 people have disappeared there, such an extensive number that Colombia established a special unit to search for missing persons specifically related to the conflict with FARC. There are boundless kidnapping incidents I could rattle off at this point. Some reported, but most probably not. Some of the more recent ones include three missionaries who disappeared in 1993, and two British orchid hunters who were kidnapped in 2000. The orchid hunters were held captive for nine months before eventually being released unharmed. In 2003, a National Geographic correspondent was held for a week by a far-right military group posted in the region. Backpackers and scientists are among those reported missing or murdered, and countless refugees attempting to leave South America have also been held captive. It's a horribly sad story that has impacted many, many people. A quick side note, Anthony Bourdain ventured into the Darien in 2013 as the violence was waning. He does a nice job of showing the state of Panama at the time and the lasting impacts of Noriega's rule. The episode is available for viewing online if you're interested.
In 2016, the Colombian government signed a peace agreement with the FARC. The rebels dispersed, leaving the Darien in peace. Sort of. There is still a daily battle of preventing drug trafficking as well as human trafficking. The number of refugees crossing the area illegally are especially high today, as I witnessed in both Panama and Colombia. I met numerous Venezuelan refugees in Panama, including an artist on the beach in Santa Catalina named Andy. Andy claimed to have crossed the Darien on foot and said it is far from empty. He recalled paying indigenous gatekeepers in order to use their hiking trails. They charge more for use of their boats and rivers. He met drug traffickers and other malandros along the way. Luckily, he has dreadlocks and a generally Rastafarian appearance and therefore was not deemed a threat to the drug traders, not to mention he wasn't even carrying a camera or a cell phone. Now that the threats have mostly abated, there are also tourists in the Darien, like me. The Darien is a big attraction for nature lovers. Um, because it was held by the FARC so long, and now due to environmental concerns, the region is nearly undeveloped. It is free of motor vehicles, a big attracting feature in itself, and the water is some of the cleanest you will find in the Caribbean. On top of that, endangered species abound, attracting ecologists and explorers. Tours are even offered by ex-FARC members who lead multi-day treks through the jungle, camping in FARC resettlement camps still decorated in communist propaganda. My friend Brandon and I were in Colombia and decided we wanted to check out the Darien. Due to the lack of roads, just getting to Capurgana was an adventure, which I detailed in a previous post. My story takes place in 2017, so I will caveat that some things may have changed since then. At the time, Capurgana only received electricity during certain hours of the day. We usually had light to eat dinner, but then by 9 p.m. or so, the town and surrounding farms and jungles descended into complete darkness. Just to be prepared, I toted my headlamp with me everywhere. On our first full day in the town, we did the number one tourist thing, which was to walk across the Panama border to Playa Miel. This involved taking a short boat ride to a town called Sapsurro, then hiking up a little hill to where a lone border agent sat in a grass hut. We held out our passports and he gave a nod, waving us through. I asked if he was going to stamp them since, you know, I wanted proof that I'd been to Panama. He replied that he didn't have a stamp. It was all semi-unofficial. Playa Miel was one of those places that you see in tourism magazines. Just this absolute paradise of clear turquoise water and white sand lined with palm trees. Brandon and I were joined by a group of friends from our catastrophic boat ride the day before, as well as a Croatian girl named Helena. Helena was traveling solo, and we struck up a conversation with her on the boat ride to Sapsurro. I was curious what had brought her way out to this remote corner of the universe. I followed a boy, she answered wryly, then told me her story. She'd been living in Santa Marta, Colombia, working as a pet sitter. One day, she met an attractive Colombian man named Enrique, with whom she felt an immediate spiritual connection. Enrique said he felt the same, and a whirlwind romance commenced. You must come meet my mother, he said to her one day. She agreed, 
feeling like the luckiest woman alive. He brought her to the outskirts of Capurgana, where his mother ran a small hostel and restaurant. The mother was kind and welcoming to Helena, and an amazing cook. Everything was going perfectly, until that morning when Helena woke up to the sight of Enrique packing his bags. "'Where are you going?' she asked him. "'To Medellin to see my wife,' he responded. "'I'm sorry, did you say wife? You're married?' "'Well, yeah, of course.' "'What do you mean, of course?' Well, you're my friend on Facebook. I assumed you'd noticed. Oh my God, that's horrible, I exclaimed, as Helena told me the story. The Colombian women on the boat shook their heads. That's why you should never date a Colombian man, they said. Colombian men are pigs. I glanced at their husbands, who were sitting right there with us on the boat, and they merely shrugged. I spent the day with Helena and the other women, taking turns telling horror stories about South American men. I have a couple doozies of my own, that's for sure. That evening, back in Capurgana, Helena joined Brandon and me for dinner and drinks. We struck up a, car a conversation with the cute young bartenders working at the restaurant. We told them about Helena's situation, and it turned out they'd actually grown up with Enrique and knew him quite well. He was known for being a womanizer, they said. They could have warned Helena if they'd met her earlier. The restaurant was about to close for the night due to the impending end of electrical current, but we were having a great time and not ready to let the night end. We should go for a swim, someone said. Nobody had swimsuits with them, but we all raced out to the bay just as the lights turned off. Perfect timing for a skinny dip. I jumped in the water which felt amazing, that perfect, tropical, warm Caribbean sea. I paddled the water around with my hands, and that was when I noticed something spectacular. Dazzling little lights all around me. Bioluminescent plankton. I had no idea there was bioluminescence in this area. No one did. Even the local bartenders were surprised and fascinated. I think it would be special to see this phenomenon in any situation, but particularly so when you're not expecting it. Helena's stuff was still at Enrique's mom's hostel. She had left that morning in a huff and hadn't yet returned. Brandon and I offered to walk her back there, since it didn't seem safe in the dark for her by herself. We put our clothes and headlamps, said goodbye to the Colombian boys, and set off for Helena's hostel. The path was dark, very dark. I could see nothing other than whatever my headlamp was pointing at. Helena was pretty confident that she knew her way back. She explained that the only way there involved crossing through neighboring farms. She assured us that everyone here walked across each other's property and no one would think we were trespassing. Eventually, she said, we would come to a creek and then the hostel was just on the other side. For almost an hour, we followed her through gates and what was presumably private property. We didn't encounter any other people, but constantly heard the scuffling of animals in the trees around us. As Helena opened yet another gate, Brandon stopped. Weren't we just here, he asked? Did we just go in a circle? Helena admitted that it had never taken this long to get to the hostel before. Maybe we should turn around, she said. After a few minutes went by, we realized there was just no way to retrace our steps. 
Brandon and I had been blindly following Helena, not paying attention to what turns she made, and she didn't remember. We were lost. Can anyone hear the ocean? I asked. If we can get back to the beach, then we can probably figure out our way back to town. That's a good idea, exclaimed Brandon. We fell silent, listening carefully for the sound of waves. I heard a large crack to my left. It was loud. Not merely a rodent, definitely something bigger. I whirled around, the headlamp creating an arc of light, which landed on a huge creature taller than myself. I screamed. Good God, yelled Brandon. Helena gasped. There were two horses staring right at us. Had they been next to us this whole time? I exhaled in relief, but the damage was done. I was spooked. Let's get the heck out of here, we all agreed. We continued walking through the endless darkness. God only knows where or in what direction until we emerged in an open clearing. In the middle of the clearing was a metal table. Does this look familiar at all, Helena? asked Brandon. I mean, I don't remember passing a table. I interrupted her. I'm sorry, why is there a table in the middle of this field? I slowly, shakily approached the table. I came close enough to make out dried blood streaks all over it. It's got to be where they slaughter cows, right? I said, desperate for an explanation. I was trying to recall cow slaughter scenes I'd seen in movies, but weren't the cows always hung by a hook? I don't think I'd ever seen one laid on a table. A tingling sensation swept through my body. This was not good. What had we been thinking coming out here in the dark? This was the Darien, the last place on earth you wanted to get lost. Anything could happen out here. Shh, said Helena. Do you hear that? We froze. It's the water! We ran toward, toward the noise as fast as we could without tripping and emerged not at the beach, but at a roaring river. <gasps> I know where we are, gasped Helena between breaths. This is the creek crossing. I'm sorry, creek? I exclaimed. I would hardly call this a creek. Well, there definitely wasn't this much water this morning. I guess it's just been flooded because of the rain today, but it's definitely the place. We have to cross here. We're really close. Brandon offered to go first. There were no rocks to hop across, just murky, muddy water. He held his sandals in his hands and walked barefoot, slowly, to the middle. The water reached halfway up his thighs, and Brandon was a tall guy. He reached out his hand to make sure that I could cross over without getting swept away. It came up to my hips. There was a current, but it wasn't terribly strong. And now we knew the direction of the beach, since presumably the river would run to the sea. After the river crossing, Helena quickly found the hostel. It sat behind a shadowy iron gate, and like everything else around us, was completely dark. Are you sure you don't just want to grab your stuff and come back to our hostel? I asked her. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fine, she answered. I'm leaving first thing in the morning. I just have to get through this one last night. 
She thanked us for walking with her, admitting it would have been horrible to get lost out there alone. Brandon and I silently waited outside for a few minutes, just in case. When we were convinced that Helena was safe, we headed back to the river and followed it to the beach. There was no way we were walking back through those creepy farms. We slowly but surely found our way back to our own hostel, where a giant frog sat in the doorway to greet us. I nearly kissed the floor. I was so happy to be safe at last. This summer, we found something. It shouldn't exist. There's no way this had been extinct for thousands of years. Oh my god, it's here! Coming from inside the house! Daddy! These dogs ain't acting right! Get to the chopper! That story is a doozy. Looking back on it, it seems like a miracle that I lived to tell the tale. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Boos on the Loose. To read about more of my adventures all over the world, make sure to follow the podcast and also check out boosblog.com. That's spelled B-O-O-S-E-B-L-O-G.com. You can see photos of all my adventures, access links to more stories, and even share your own. I'd love to hear from anyone else who's been to this part of the world, or if you've also found yourself lost in a scary space. All right, fellow boosies, take care of yourselves until next time.